Please rise for the reading of the scripture coming from Luke 24, verses 1 through 12. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how we told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of the sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again? Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the woman because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. You may be seated. Good morning. Good to see all your smiling faces this morning. Uh, what an awesome day to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Um, I do want to call your attention to the uh, to the scenes over here. I hope you have been enjoying them, and I particularly uh, enjoy this morning's scene. I, I'm not going to mention those who have who are responsible for that because they don't like that if I do that so I won't do that but I hope you I hope you enjoy uh, I hope you enjoy those scenes we did have a little uh, scenery malfunction on on Good Friday I, I was a little I was a little taken back when I came in for the Good Friday service and found that the tomb had, or the stone had been rolled away already from the uh, from the tomb Actually, it was not rolled away by angels. It was more just the forces of uh, gravity. It fell off the front. But <laughs> nonetheless, it was rather inappropriate for uh, the Good Friday celebration, but we, we cared for that. Also, uh, I think most of you have, have heard um, that Doris Replogle has passed away. Um, her body is being shipped back up here. Uh, we will have a service here at the church sometime this week. I do not know uh, exactly when, uh, but we will try to let you know um, when that has been determined. Let's come before the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you and praise you for your death, for our sins, that our sins could be paid for, and your resurrection whereby you defeated death and we can look forward to eternal life with you. We thank you for the empty tomb and for your power at work in our lives. Uh, through your Holy Spirit, Lord, just speak into our, our hearts today uh, these truths and uh, 
impress them upon us in such a way that we, we don't simply celebrate, but we take those in deeply and live them out in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There was a little story in the Christian Reader Kids of the Kingdom section um, that a lady wrote. Um, she said their neighbor had visited the Holy Land and sent a letter back to them describing the beautiful gardens that were there. And her six-year-old asked, I wonder if he saw the rose. And she asked her, what rose? And she said, you know, like the, like the big biblical women saw. They went to the garden where Jesus was buried, and they saw that Christ had a rose. <laughs> I am ready to talk about the resurrection this morning. We have uh, spent most of our Lenten season talking about our suffering Savior. There's been a lot about his suffering and... Uh, and his death, the prophecies, the predictions, the reasons behind his, his agonizing death. There's been a lot of that, of that suffering kind of thing. So now it's time to talk about the resurrection. Now, if you've been paying attention, you might say, Okay, Pastor David, the scripture that you gave us yesterday on the one call, which, by the way, is not what Jacob read this morning, isn't even about the resurrection. And what kind of a lousy sermon title for Easter is thick-headed and slow-hearted? Well, this morning, I want to look not only at the resurrection, but our response to it. So we're actually going to be working through the verses that come in Luke following the resurrection account that Jake read this morning. And unfortunately, the words that Jesus uses to describe the two disciples that he's walking with is foolish and slow of heart. Foolish and slow of heart. And unfortunately, sometimes our reaction can be a bit that way ourselves. If you have your Bibles and want to turn to that passage, it would probably be helpful. We're going to start at 13, and we're going to work our way through quite a bit of the rest of the chapter. Um, I'll be reading those verses, but if you do have a Bible with you, as I said, it, it might be helpful. We, we start at verse 13. It says, now that same day, the same day of the, 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 of the resurrection, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed those things with each other, Jesus came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. Now these, these were two of... Jesus' closer disciples, not two of the twelve or, or now eleven, but two disciples that were obviously closely related to him. And the often asked question here is, what kept them from recognizing him? And, and, and I don't really have an answer for that. But maybe a more important question is, what keeps us even today as followers of Jesus Christ from recognizing his presence in our lives? What keeps that from happening? Jesus does not enter our lives in a way that forces us to recognize him. The risen Christ doesn't force himself on us. He doesn't overwhelm us. He gives us the choice to, to recognize him or not recognize him. To, to give us to uh, attribute what he's doing to him or to other things going on in our lives. He does not overwhelm us. As Jesus 
approaches these two disciples on their journey. He briefly listens to their conversation, and as we already said, they don't recognize him. And then he joins in the dialogue, starting in verse 17. He asks them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you, the on are you only a visitor to Jerusalem, and do you not know the things that have happened here in these days? And Jesus says, things? What things? Jesus, Jesus sort of plays dumb. You almost wonder how he could do that with a straight face, like he didn't really know what had been happening in Jerusalem over the past three or four days. You know, there are consequences, <coughs> excuse me, there are consequences of not recognizing Jesus in our lives. These men had held out a great hope for what Jesus had accomplished, hope that was dashed by his death on the cross. Now, even after hearing the news of the resurrection, they were still without hope. Even in the presence of the resurrected Christ, their faces were downcast. Karl Barth, a famous theologian, was on a streetcar one day in Basel, Switzerland, where he lectured. A tourist came down, came into the bus and sat down next to him, and the two began to chat. Are you new to the city, Barth inquired. Yes, said the tourist. Is there anything you would particularly like to see in this city, asked Barth. Yes, he said, I'd love to meet the famous theologian Karl Barth. Do you know him? Barth replied, well, as a matter of fact, I do. I give him a shave every morning. The tourist got off the streetcar and went back to his hotel, delightedly telling people that he had met Karl Barth's bar barber. <laughs> How often do we fail to recognize Jesus Christ? Speaking in our hearts, to our hearts, working in our lives, we settle for so much less than he wants for us. Beginning in, in verse 19, second half of the verse. They respond, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who would redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. A second reason why we fail to recognize God's presence in our lives is that we fail to understand God's picture, God's big picture plan. In her book, Mystery in the Desert, Maria Reich describes a series of strange lines made by the ancient Nazia in the plains of Peru, some of them covering many miles. For years, people assumed that these lines were the remains of ancient irrigation ditches. But then in 1939, Dr. Paul Kosak of Long Island University discovered that their true meaning could only be seen from high in the air. When viewed from an airplane, these seemingly random lines form enormous pictures of birds, insects, and animals. How they, how they put that all together back in, in those days from the ground is pretty amazing. But too often, we only see what's directly in front of us. And that from a very human and, and self-centered perspective. And we totally miss what God is actually doing. We see the temporary things of this world, the, the hurts, the struggles, the things that just don't make sense to us. 
and we conclude that God must not be working in our situation. The disciples still didn't understand who Jesus was. They, they talked of him as a prophet and powerful teacher, maybe even the Messiah. But they don't understand him as Savior and Lord. And furthermore, they couldn't understand how his suffering and death could possibly lead to the deliverance they hoped for. They were so lost in the seeming defeat of the situation that they failed to recognize their victorious risen Savior who was standing right in front of them. Moving on to verse 22. In addition, and these are, this is the disciples talking, in addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it as the women had said. But him they did not see. He, Jesus, said to them, How foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. So the third would be a thick-headed, slow-hearted unwillingness to believe. As Jesus pointed out, they had the prophets. There are so many passages in the Old Testament writings that spoke specifically to Christ and his suffering and his return to life. There were Jesus' own predictions. Almost every statement that Jesus made about his death also included the fact that he would rise again. Shortly before his arrest, he told them, But after I have risen... I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Now they even had the evidence of the events themselves. An empty tomb, a missing body, visit from, a visit from the angels, the testimony of the women, the personal observations of Peter and John. Yet there is so much of unbelief in this resurrection account. The women went to the tomb expecting to find a dead body. When they found the tomb empty, they wondered where they had taken the body. When the angel told them that Jesus was alive and reminded them of his words, they remembered his words, but it doesn't say they actually believed them. And of course, when the women reported what they had seen and heard to the disciples, the disciples did not believe. They, they thought it was nonsense. The first non-believers to the resurrection account were Jesus' closest followers. There are many today who say that the resurrection is a hoax made up by the disciples to perpetuate some kind of myth about who Jesus was. And I could spend this whole morning explaining why that's really pretty impossible, but I don't want to go there. The, the focus Sunday school classes is looking at Lee Strobel's The Case for the Cross or The Case for the Resurrection which details so much of the evidence that Jesus really did rise from the dead. First, let me point out two things, though, from this account. If the, disciple, if the disciples wanted to present a convincing hoax, there's no way they would have started by recording their own initial unbelief at the events. 
And secondly, they would not have had women as the first high wit eyewitnesses. Don't shoot me, ladies, I'm only the messenger. But in that culture, in that time, the testimony of women was not considered to be credi credible. The, res the resurrection account is not a hoax. Of course, we would never fail to recognize Jesus or what he's doing in our lives because of our own thick-headedness, would we? You know, you don't have to be Pennsylvania Dutch or have a German ancestry or live in the cove or come from Ohio to be thick-headed, but it certainly doesn't hurt. And I say that having a, a German name inherited from my father, some Pennsylvania Dutch ancestry inherited from my mother coming from Ohio and living in the cove, although I could plead a shorter residence than some of you. Regardless of our ancestry, how often do we miss out on what God is doing because it doesn't match with our own mindset or how we think things ought to be? How often do we resist the moving of the Holy Spirit because it doesn't make sense to us and we somehow think we know better? Being slow-hearted is another matter. Why are so many slow to embrace the cross and the resurrection? Wolf, Wolfhart Pannenberg, a German theologian, said this, The evidence for Jesus' resurrection is so strong that nobody would question it except for two things. First of all, it is an unusual event. And second, if you believe it, you have to change the way you live. If you embrace the cross and the resurrection, if you accept what Jesus did there as your sacrifice, if you claim him as Lord and Savior, you will be transformed. If you allow him to come into your life, you will be changed. And many people really don't want to be changed. Well, what opens our eyes to the resurrected Christ? Starting at verse 28. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their hearts were open, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us when he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? The first thing that I believe begins to open our eyes to the presence of the risen Christ is going deeper with Jesus. Jesus acted as if he were going to part company with these two disciples. And that fits in well with what I said earlier. Jesus does not force himself upon us. But they were having none of it. They wanted to hear more. They wanted to experience more. They wanted to go deeper with him. In James 4.8, we're told, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. When we make it clear that we want to know more and experience more of God in our lives, He really will open Himself up to us. He begins to reveal more and more of Himself in our lives. We begin to recognize more of His presence with us. 
A second, uh, a second item here would be allowing Jesus to feed us. For these two disciples, the mo moment of recognition came when Jesus broke the bread and gave it to them. In John 6, after feeding more than 5,000 with a, a, a few loaves and fishes, Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go thirsty. And he who believes in me will, excuse me, he who, who comes to me will never go hungry. And he who believes in me will never be thirsty. Of course, Jesus wasn't talking about physical things. He was talking about our spiritual hungering and thirsting. Jesus wants us to come to him so that he can feed us from himself and from his word. When we take that step and begin to allow Jesus to minister to us, recognition will come. Third point here I would make is hearing him call our name. Hear hearing him call our name. Moving to another post-resurrection account. Mary Magdalene encountered the risen Jesus near the tomb. And he asked her why she was crying. Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Mary didn't recognize Jesus either until he spoke her name. When we listen carefully for Jesus Christ on a personal level, in our own personal time with him, it can make all the difference in the world. Jesus is calling out to you, asking you to open up your heart and life to him, wanting you to know how much he loves you, how much he values you as his child. He wants to show you his purpose for your life, and to fill you with peace and joy in serving Him. When you listen to Him and hear Him speak to you in a very personal way, you will begin to see Him as you've never seen Him before. And this leads to the, wow, it all makes sense now moment. When those two disciples finally recognized Jesus, they said, no wonder we felt as we did while he was talking to us and teaching us from the scriptures, it all makes sense now. When we fully realize Jesus' presence in our life, so much of what we've been through, so much of what we feel begins to make sense. Certainly, there are some things that we will never understand in this lifetime. Things that will only come into focus when we're no, no longer subject to the limitations of our human mind. But what a sense of joy and hope and fulfillment we have when we recognize Jesus for who he is and the events of our life begin to make sense in terms of God's big picture for us. And that brings me to the final point of my message this morning, allowing the power of the resurrection to bring hope into our lives. A.W. Tozer wrote, I cannot give in to the devil's principal deceitful tactic, which makes so many Christians satisfied with an Easter celebration, 
instead of experiencing the power of Christ's resurrection. It is the devil's business to keep Christians mourning and weeping with pity beside the cross instead of, de instead of demonstrating that Jesus Christ is risen indeed. I don't want to be downcast and defeated in light of the resurrection. I don't want to live in fear of death and, and Satan and, and world events when Jesus has already conquered all of that. I don't want to live helplessly and, and hopelessly when the power of the resurrection is there to all of God's children simply for the taking. Let me touch on three ways we can take hold of the resurrection. First, in faith believe. In faith believe. Verses 33 through 35, they got up and returned to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It's true. The Lord has risen and appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way, and Jesus was recognized by them. And how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. The two finally got up and went back to Jerusalem to share the news. And when they got there, they found the other disciples were believing as well. And in response to their faith, Jesus began to show up everywhere. And there was no problem in recognizing him. In Hebrews 11.6 we're told, Without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. When we draw near to God in faith believing, his rewards begin to flow in our lives. We need to allow him to begin to work and move in our lives. The first thing that Jesus said when he showed up again was, Peace be with you. And then he demonstrated that he was not a ghost or an apparition, but a truly resurrected Savior. Jesus wants to bring relief for troubled hearts and doubting minds. He wants to relieve our fears and our misgivings with peace and hope and confidence in him. Jesus provided reassurance that all of this was according to God's plan of salvation from the beginning. And God had a plan for your life and my life from the beginning as well. And as you allow him to work and move in your life, it will unfold. Your life will unfold according to that plan. Verse 45 says, Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. Jesus knows that there are times when his word is a little bit difficult to, to decipher. But through the Holy Spirit, he opens our minds. He opens our hearts to understand it, to know his truth. And then take joy in his forgiveness and his plan for your life. The emphasis of the remaining verses there in, in Luke is God's plan of repentance and forgiveness. And his plan for us to be his witnesses and, and to share that message. Take joy in, in your forgiveness, your salvation. Jesus paid for it all at a great price. And it simply requires you to repent, to turn from sin to a life of serving him and allowing him to flow through you. Take joy in the fact that your risen Savior is at God's right hand as both intercessor and advocate for you personally. 
take joy that Jesus has a place for you in, in God's kingdom. He has a role for you in building his kingdom. Find joy in living out his call on your life. Above all, find hope. Find hope in your resurrected Savior. He wants to walk with you, talk with you, side by side, day by day. He wants to show you his love. He wants to open your eyes to the truth of his word. He wants to dispel your, your fears, ease your hurts, bring peace and joy in your life, bring healing in your soul. And when this life is over through the power of the resurrection, he wants to raise you to new life. Life that you will share with him forever and ever. Don't fail to recognize his presence in your life. In faith, believe. Go, go deeper with him and deeper into his word. Feed on what he has for you. Allow him to call you personally and to work and move in your life. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for the empty tomb and that we serve a risen Lord. We pray that we would take hold of the power of the resurrection, which you intend for us, and allow you to work and move and demonstrate your love and your power, both in us and through us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.